CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live Bible answer program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a question on the Bible or the Christian faith, you can call us at 1 888 827 5276. That's 1 888 Ask CSN. Now let's get things started. Here's today's host. Well, hello there, everybody, and welcome to this Tuesday edition of To Every Man and Answer. My name is John Randall from Calvary, South OC in San Clemente, California, filling in for Pastor Mike Kessler, who is traveling and joining me today in the studio is our very own Pastor Scott Parker of Calvary Chapel Festus in Festus, Missouri. Pastor Scott, so glad to have you here on the program and to see you. And uh, how have you been? I have been blessed, John. It's great to be with you today, by the way. It's always a pleasure to uh, team up with you here and answering questions. And uh, the Lord has been good to me. As we were talking before the show, I, you know, had had a health issue with my heart, which I've had all my life back at the beginning of the month. But uh, they've got it all leveled out with medicine, so I'm doing well. And uh, But just keep them busy. You know how the ministry is. And so uh, just all the different aspects of things that we do as pastors, keeping us really busy. And then you add this holiday season on top of it. <laughs> it keeps you really busy. But anyway, thanks for asking, John. It's great to be with you today. Yeah, it's a blessing. You know, I'm thinking about the holiday season. And for pastors, for those of you that don't know, I mean, when you hit December, it just seems like everything ramps up. I tell people I feel like I put the pedal down December 1 uh, all the way to January 2 or 3. And you just – it seems like there's so many things that that are even – there's more things you have to be responsible for in different services. And, and Scott, just a real quick question for you, because I'm interested in this myself. Uh, and that is, you know, as a pastor, you, you know, you come to the Christmas story, you come to Easter, and you feel like usually you get people that come in that are visiting during those mm-hmm. times. Do you ever find it a challenge to take those stories and and try to make them different than they are, find something that no <laughs> one's ever found in that one sermon? I mean, what do, how do you approach that? You know, John, I mean, okay, so, you know, you're a, you're a, uh, fellow Calvary Chapel pastor. I mean, you know how it is teaching through the Bible. And I get exactly what you're saying because you feel that, uh, that pressure to want to give to the people, especially those people who come to church all the time, a different angle of something from the Christmas story. And there's a lot of ways you can come at it, you know. Um, but you know, for me, it's just sticking with teaching through the scriptures. I have found it helpful. Um, I rotate usually. Now this year I'm not doing it. Um, but what I've done in the past years is I'll just rotate, you know, okay, Christmas according to Matthew and we'll look at the, you know, we'll take December or from Thanksgiving until Christmas and we'll go through, you know, the, the Christmas story according to Matthew, according to Luke, uh, according to John. It's even in, in the gospel of John. Um, even though it doesn't speak of the birth of Jesus and the nativity, uh, it does speak of the incarnation, you know, uh, things like that. And then, and then John, you know, there's just been other, other times where I've just prayed and just, uh, the Lord's directed me to a certain scripture mm-hmm. about the incarnation in the Bible. And then that has just led to being able to share about Jesus coming to the earth. But really, you know, for me, I, I can't get away from teaching about the incarnation and Jesus coming in his first coming. Uh, without going straight to the gospel. And that, and that's why, you know, it is such a, such a good opportunity for pastors, uh, to preach the gospel when they have unbelievers coming into their services during this season, you know. So, um, but I've just done it different ways, you know. So anyhow. 
I appreciate that insight. And uh, that is something we do. I, mean, I think it's important to preach from the cradle of the cross. That's where we want to get people to Jesus. Exactly. It's amazing because people don't, you know, most people, hey, I don't have a problem with baby Jesus, but I also, listen, he's not a baby anymore. All right. He grew <laughs> up, he died on a cross. Uh-huh. He rose again. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's coming again. And you have there is no Christmas without Christ. So that is the right. emphasis. And I appreciate the fact that you and so many other pastors like you, Scott, here that are on CSN, that they they teach through the Bible. They teach the people what God's Word says. We don't need to improve mm-hmm. on Scripture. And uh, no. I really appreciate that. And I think that's why we have people that call from all over. In fact, listen if you if you have a question about the Bible, call us here at eighty eight eighty eight. Ask CSN. We'd love to to do our best to answer the questions that you might have. But today, we're first of all going to go out to Wendy in Greenville, South Carolina with a question. Wendy, welcome to Every Man and Answer. How can we help you today? So um, wonderful that we have somewhere to turn to. So um, we're blessed. I know that God is proud of you, and we can't thank you enough. Oh, thank so you, Wendy. I do That's have a question so today. Yeah. What's your question? And and so I um, use Facebook as a platform to promote and to um, use it for my platform to use for Jesus Christ. And um, that is a, a way that I see Facebook as to be beneficial. Otherwise, I think Facebook is terrible. But anyways, so I put on there something similar to uh, Jesus is coming back soon or something like that. And a brother in Christ reached out to me yesterday and said to me, well, you uh, you must know something I don't know. God revealed to me that it's going to be at least 280 to 500 years before he sends his son to come back, and we won't be having a feast with Jesus until then. And then, and uh, so I was really uh, confused by his email. Like God reached out to you and told you it was going to be 280 years. Uh, to 280 years to 500 years, but he also said, but no one knows the day or the time. And uh, of course, my uh, my carnal person wanted to say to him, well, uh, wait a minute, no one knows the day or the time, so how did you know that? But but of course, I didn't. I didn't reach out that way. I reached out to the spirit and said to him, talk to him about the fig tree in Israel. And mm-hmm. talk to him about the last generation and how a generation is 70 to 80 years. And how um, even though, yes, nobody knows when Jesus is coming back for his church in the rapture. Um, yes, um, I do not believe that Jesus is going to come back to, between 280 years and 500 years from now, um, according to the fig tree and the land of Israel coming into uh, fruition in 1948 and try to explain to him. He did not give me an answer, which he usually does give me an answer. Oh, he goes on and on and on. This time he put a little heart next to it and didn't say anything. Um, And um, so I kind of wanted to to know a little bit about what you thought. Um, Of course, you don't have to get into this dispute between brother and sister, and I don't think it's a dispute, but I really felt like 
wait a minute, where are you, where are you coming from about on all this? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, I don't know where he came up with 250 to 500 years. Uh, I, I Listen, you said it. No man knows the day or the hour. Actually, uh, Jesus said it. Matthew 24, verse 36, no man knows the day or the hour. We want to be ready. We want to be watching. And, you know, Pastor Scott, as you hear things like this, sometimes people can get not so much, as you said, a disagreement or um, what would you say to somebody who would say he's not coming back for, uh, you know, 250 to, to 500 years? I hope it's not that long. Yeah, well, what's interesting, John, you know, there in Matthew 24, uh, at the end, Jesus gave a parable. Um, actually, he gave a parable in um, at the end of uh, chapter 24 there. Mm-hmm. Um, let me make sure I'm correct. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because he actually in that parable says it's the evil servant mm-hmm. who says my master is delaying his coming. So, you know, also second Peter chapter three, um, Peter said, knowing this, that scoffers will come in the last days and, and say, where is the promise of his coming? Like mm-hmm. he, he can't, you know, according to Peter, they're saying he's not going to come. Um, but again, the fact is, is, you know, he hasn't come yet and he can't come yet. Well, that's ridiculous. Um, because as we know, Jesus said, as you quoted John, that no one knows the day of the hour, not even the son of man. Uh, you know, when he was on the earth in his flesh, he didn't know when he was coming and all that's in the father's hands. But it's interesting to me that so far in history, uh, everyone who has tried to predict the day or the hour <laughs> for Jesus coming has been wrong. So right. to say, number one, he's going to come 250 years, 280 years from now. Um, okay. That's, that's most likely going to be wrong because everyone in history has been so far. Um, could it be another 250 years to 200? Sure. It could be. I don't think by looking at what's going on in our world, um, like our sister said, speaking of the nation of Israel and looking at the signs of the times, I don't believe it's going to be that long, but it could. I, I mean, I wouldn't, you know, try to dare make a, a statement like that and say, well, here's when he has to come. But here's what we do know. The rapture happens before the second coming of Jesus. And in the New Testament, the rapture is an event that is signless. In other words, there are no signs that have to happen for the rapture to happen. And because it's signless event, it's also imminent, which means it's an event that could happen at any time. And when you read the New Testament, especially when you read Paul in First Thessalonians 4, Paul spoke of the rapture as if he was expecting it in his lifetime. And it didn't happen. And it was 2000, that's been 2000 years now. So this whole thing of saying Jesus can't come now, but he's going to come at, at this certain time frame or whatever, I think is just ridiculous according to the Bible. But we do know by looking at what's going on in our world right now, I think you would have to have your head in the sand when you look at everything that is being set up in our world right now, globalism, a one world government, new world order, cashless society, the nation of Israel, and especially all of her enemies, you know, her, her enemies coming against her right now, the way they are, you know, we got the battle of, of Ezekiel 38 and 39 that's going to happen, uh, of course, at least before the second coming of Jesus. So we look at our world right now and we can see things shaping up, uh, for, for the, for him to come uh, in the second coming. Um, 
after the tribulation, but that's seven years away. We know that. But when we're talking about the coming of Jesus, we have to remember there's two phases to his coming. There's the rapture where he comes in the clouds for the church. And then the second coming after the tribulation, seven years later, where he then comes with the church to the earth, judge and, and uh, rule the world. So I, I think we need to really be very careful in date setting and in saying the Lord can't come here or there uh, because, you know, the coming of the Lord begins with the rapture of the church. And that is a signless, imminent event that could happen at any time. John? Uh, thank you, Scott. I appreciate that. And, you know, my pastor used to say, Wendy, if anybody ever uh, puts a date on the calendar, you can know this for sure. He's not coming that day. <laughs> Just because. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows the day or the hour, but you know, I hope that helps you. Hey, I'm, I'm thankful, Wendy, that you are being a light on Facebook using your platform on social media to promote the gospel. I think that's a blessing. I encourage people who use social media, don't get into the, all of the battles on social media back and forth. That's always right. nonsense when you get into that. And I don't think that's your heart at all, Wendy, but I appreciate you being a light there. And if you stay on the line, we'd love to send you out uh, some uh, resources we have. We have something called God of Wonders that's available for you, for you, some other things that we just love to give back to our listeners who are a part of this broadcast. And we really appreciate your your kind words of encouragement and uh, pray you continue to be a light out there in Greenville, South Carolina. Let's go now to Christopher in Springfield, Oregon. Christopher, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking my call. No problem. Uh, can How can you help me? Yes, sir. We got you. Okay. I had a... I, 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 really having a hard time um, really understanding the uh, parable of the ten virgins, five who were wise and five who were not. Right. And they had to go back. The five wise said that, you know, they they can't give them any of their oil. They'd have to go back and back to town, I guess, and buy their own oil. Right. And, uh, I'm just trying to get an understanding of that parable. Okay. Well, you called the right place. And I think, uh, I appreciate you saying that. And, I, and again, I appreciate the fact that you are going through the word of God. I think that's so important to be a student of the word and to, to read through it. And, you know, with all the parables that Jesus told, you know, they, a parable just, um, is, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's some illustration that the people Jesus was speaking to would understand. But typically there's a meaning behind that parable, a spiritual truth that um, would be drawn out. Now, some parables you're left to um, think, well, I, I, it could mean this, it could mean that. And there's other parables that Jesus is very clear. This means this, and this means that. So whenever I, I, I sense when you come to a parable, you always study it very, for me, just very humbly. And I approach it with that thinking, okay, Lord, help me to understand the meaning. What is, what can I take from this? What application can I bring? And Pastor Scott, you know, when you're mm -hmm. looking at Matthew 25, you know, Matthew 24 and 25, there you have the Olivet Discourse of Jesus. He's speaking to his disciples in response to their question on when is going to be the destruction of the temple, the end of all things. And Jesus responds, and then he comes to this passage in 25 where he talks about these 10 virgins. Can you help us understand what he was implying there? Sure. And I think it's important, too, to understand, first of all, that when it comes to parables— Parables are, are, are earthly stories that have a heavenly meaning. Uh, there, Jesus spoke in parables to help people understand heavenly things, so he used earthly things to illustrate them. And there's also something about parables you have to understand. Every parable that Jesus told 
has one main point. Okay, it, it really does. Now, you can get into parables because like this parable in Matthew 25 about the, the virgins, it, it it is a reference to something that in Jesus' day the Jews were very familiar with, and it's a reference to the ancient Jewish wedding customs. Okay, now because of that, you can get into the details of the parable, but I would say this. If you get into details of parables too much, you end up losing the main point of them. So the main point of this parable is to simply, for Jesus to simply tell the people he was speaking to, to be prepared and be ready because I'm coming at any time, which I believe he's referring there to the rapture. And the reason I say the rapture is because, as John said, in Matthew 24, he's talking about, I believe, both the rapture and his second coming. We definitely know he's talking about the second coming, but there's also verbiage in Matthew 24 uh, that could be taken as he's speaking of the rapture as well. So what's interesting is the thing that Jesus says in Matthew 24, in verse 44, after he explains and answers the disciples' questions, and then he tells them, again, you, that no one knows the hour when he's going to come. And then in verse 44 of 24, he says, therefore, and here's the main point, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then what's he do? In verse 45 through the rest of the chapter, he tells a parable that I alluded to in the last question about the faithful servant and the evil servant. And the evil servant says, well, the master can't come uh, at any time. He'll come later. He's going to delay his coming. But then you come to chapter 25, and what's Jesus do? He he gives them another parable, (laughs) another story, another earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Again, and the point of that parable Okay, is actually found at the end of the parable in verse 13, where Jesus says, after he gives the parable, he says, watch, therefore, for you need, you know, you know, neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So the point of the parable of the virgins and the oil and all of that, the point of it is be ready because Jesus is coming at a time that you do not know. So be prepared. Okay. So that's the point of the parable. Now getting into the parable, I'm going to, I'm going to just say this real quick, make this as short as I can, give it back to John and let John, you can comment on it. But the, this, the parable Jesus is telling here comes from and is a reference to the ancient Jewish wedding customs. And what would happen is after a groom and a, and a young lady, um, a young man and young lady had already signed a marriage covenant. What would happen is there would be a period of usually of about a year where they would be separated and the young man would go back to his father's house and he would prepare either a room in his father's house as a bridal chamber and a place for them to live after they consummate their marriage, or he would build, uh, you know, a, a room, an addition onto the house on his father's property. When he was doing that, while he was busy doing that, the bride-to-be did not know when the bridegroom was going to come and get her because when he would come and get her, he would then take her back to the place that he's prepared for her, and that's where they would have the wedding ceremony and become husband and wife. Okay, Now, they were in a covenant. They were betrothed, which 
was as good as marriage, but to actually have the wedding ceremony and consummate the marriage to where they would live together forever, that wouldn't happen until the groom went to go get his bride. Now, when did the groom go get his bride? He went and got his bride after his father had inspected the work that he did in preparing the bridal chamber and the place for them to live. When it was sufficient, the father would say to his son, okay, everything's ready. Now go get your bride. So what he would do then is he would leave his house, his father's house, with an entourage of people. And usually they did this in the middle of the night. And the reason they did it in the middle of the night is to bring an element of surprise to the bride. So it would be a surprise to her, okay? But the bride did not know what day or what hour he would come, okay? So then what would happen is as he would go back to get his bride, he would go in the middle of the night. And when he did, how he knew his 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 uh, fiance was faithful to him during the time they were separated, she would put a lamp, an oil lamp in her window. When the groom would come to the, to, to the area of the house where his bride lived and he saw that lamp in the window burning, he knew two things. Number one, she's ready for me. Uh, she's, she's got her bridal clothes on. She's sleeping in them. All of her, her wedding party is there with her sleeping and, and staying with her and are all ready to go. And number two, she's been faithful to me. And so what would happen is he would approach the house. They would blow a shofar horn, blow a trumpet, and they would yell, the bridegroom comes. And what would happen is it would wake up the bride and wake up her wedding party. And so the the way that, let me say this, that the purpose of having the oil in the lamp was to show the bridegroom that she had been faithful and she was ready for him to come and ready to go with him. And also... um it was it was all this was happening in the middle of the night. So they had to be able to have lamp to be able to see their way through the house and out of the house uh, to her, her, her groom. And so that's that's what the story is alluding to. That's the earthly part of the parable. But the point of the parable is you have to be ready. So the wise virgins, the bride and all of her wedding party, those wise ones were the ones who every night made sure that when they went to bed, they had plenty of oil, and they were ready for the bridegroom to come. The ones who weren't prepared are the foolish ones who, as you read the parable, are the ones that end up getting left out of the wedding party and getting left out of the wedding itself. And so it's a it's a it's an encouragement and an admonition for us as believers to be full of the Holy Spirit, to be faithful to our Lord, and to be watching and waiting and ready when he comes. John? Yeah, excellent reply. And I, I think, um, Christopher, I, I hope that that helps you. I would just add to that, that when you read the parables, oftentimes you, you can make the application by drawing comparison as, as mm-hmm. pastor right there. I mean, he looked at, you got the ones that are foolish and you got the ones that are wise. So if I'm reading that, I'm, I'm saying to myself, well, what made them foolish? Well, the, the result was they had no oil. So what happened? They missed the bridegroom. They were shut out of the wedding. They had no way to get in. They were excluded. And it was complete and their exclusion was final. But then you look at the wise and you see that they were ready and they had entrance and it was immediate. They they had entrance and it was intimate. It says they went in with the bridegroom. It says their entrance was joyous. They went into the wedding feast and their entrance was personal 
That is, they went in. So, hey, if, when you when you look at that parable, this is what it means culturally. This is what it means spiritually. And here's an application that you can take from this. We want to be wise and being mm-hmm. ready for the return of the Lord. Does that help you out, Christopher? That helps out a whole lot. That gives me a awesome. really good understanding of that parable. Thank you so much. Yeah, you bet. God bless you. Thanks so much for calling. Stay on the line. We'd love to send you out some things. You know, we've got a couple minutes left, but I want to go to John, also in Oregon. John, so glad to have you on the program today. How can we help you? I just have a question, and then I also have a prayer request. I'm a okay. long-time listener, and I appreciate you what you guys do. And uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah, we got you, John. Okay. Um, I had my headset on, so I had to take it off. No problem. And my question is, I was under the impression from, I'm a long-time listener, I think I said that, sorry. Um, I'm going in, well, I have a brain tumor, and I also have a prayer request for that, because I'm going in tomorrow for a consultation, and then Thursday they're taking it out. So I just wanted to get a prayer request. Because I know that uh, I, the Lord uses all things for His glory, and that's mm-hmm. where I'm at. Yeah. So I wanted to be able to do that. Okay. And the question I had, I was under the impression. Are you hearing me? Okay. Yes, we, we hear you loud and clear, brother. Okay, sorry about that. I thought that the temple needed to be built. And the abomination of desolation needed to take place before Christ came back. Mm. Is that incorrect? Well, that is a really good question. And um, we're going to answer that in the second half of the program. We're about one minute out from our break. And I don't want, that's a really good question. And, and I know that we have an answer for that scripturally speaking. We'll give that to you. And then, and then we'll we'll answer the question. But then, John, we really want to, we want to lift you up. And what a blessing it is to, and I appreciate your transparency and your willingness to call this line and ask for a prayer because it's not just myself and Pastor Scott praying for you, but you have brothers and sisters, part of the CSN family that are listening all over the country right now. And in a few moments, we are going to unanimously come together, brother. And I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people all over listening. And we're going to lift you up and we're going to pray and we're going to trust that God's got his hand on you. And he, like you said, he's going to use this for good in your life. Like the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, all these things work together. And, and so we'll be right back. So don't go anywhere, John. And everybody else, stay on the line and make sure that you join us for prayer in the second half of To Every Man and Answer. We'll be right back. In 2007, when Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, cried out to God, What can I do for you? The answer came loud and clear. I sense God's broken heart over the issue of abortion. You see, he sees every little baby that's being formed in the mother's womb, and it breaks his heart to see when the lifetime that he has planned for them is taken from them violently so often. But if we can get a mom into one of our clinics and show her her baby, and she has that a close encounter of the best kind in her womb, she will choose life. 
Preborn network of clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion. To learn more about the life-saving work of Preborn, call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY. Or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. All gifts are tax-deductible. Your love can save a life. So right now may be the perfect time for you to rethink how you pay for health care. And here's why. Not only is it open enrollment for a lot of people, it's also a time you can join MediShare and save even more than usual. For many families, switching to MediShare saves about $500 a month, which is a game changer for a lot of people. But what's more, they like it. MediShare has double the member satisfaction rate compared to health insurance. Double. MediShare is a proven thing, too. For over 30 years, it's a Christian community of more than 400,000 members. And here's the thing, too. If you join before December 15th and you mention the promo code SHARE, you'll get another $150 savings. So I'll give you the number here in a second, but just call. You'll get a price within two minutes. And remember, the deadline is December 15th. So call now and you'll save even more. Here's the number, 855-91-BIBLE. That's 855-91-BIBLE. 855-91-BIBLE. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this Tuesday edition of To Every Man and Answer. I'm your host, John Randall, filling in for Pastor Mike today. And along with me here is uh, Pastor Scott Parker from Calvary Chapel, Festus, Missouri. And we have been answering questions today. And if you have a question, please call us 8888-ASK-CSN. From wherever you are, we would love to hear from you and uh, be able to help and give you an answer, maybe to the questions you have about the Christian faith is, is what I've heard. Is it actually in the Bible? Uh, maybe you've heard some things out there that you're questioning. Is that true or is that false? How do I know? And we just would love to be able to dialogue with you today. But we took a call in the first part of our program from our friend John in Oregon. And John, uh, we're going to pray for him in a moment. But he had a question, Scott, about mm-hmm. the abomination that brings about desolation and the timing of it. Now, we know, and again, I'm, I'm amazed that this is now the third question so far that we've had on the Olivet <laughs> Discourse, which I appreciate. Our listeners are, are into prophecy and what Jesus has to say. And so, CSN family, we commend you for that. We're so glad that that's, that's where your heart is. But, you know, you, you see this mentioned in the Olivet Discourse. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 24, this abomination which brings about desolation. Daniel refers to this. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, it also seems that the Apostle Paul alludes to this in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, in verse 4, when the Antichrist comes and exalts himself as the object of worship. And But the question is, when does this happen? And John was asking, I thought the temple had to be built, and that would take place before the return of Christ. And in one sense, that's true, but there's another part to it. You mentioned it. Scott, can you help us out with this? Sure, John. Yes. Thanks for uh, setting that question up so well. So what's interesting is, uh, as I said earlier, we have to remember that the coming of Jesus is in two phases. The first coming is where Jesus comes in the clouds to resurrect dead believers and then to rapture and catch away living believers who are alive on the earth at that time. 
That all occurs, according to the scripture, before the seven-year tribulation period happens. The second coming of Christ is where Jesus comes at the end of the tribulation period, and he comes with his saints in order to execute judgment and then to set up his 1,000-year kingdom and rule and reign on the earth um, there in, in, in Jerusalem. So you're exactly right that the abomination of desolation has to, for that to happen, that that the temple has to be rebuilt. All of the scriptures that, that speak of the abomination of desolation that the Antichrist will commit in the temple in Jerusalem, that, that requires a third temple to be built and to be standing during that time. And of course, right now it's not standing. The Jews want to build it. They can't because, of course, the Muslims control the Temple Mount and, and we have all of that turmoil. But what's interesting is, is when you come to the book of Revelation, um, what we see is, uh, that for that abomination of desolation to happen, um, the temple has to be rebuilt and it will. Now, as John said in Daniel chapter nine, verse 27, Daniel actually tells us that the Antichrist is going to make a covenant with the nation of Israel for seven years. It says one week, which is a prophetic way of talking about seven years. Okay. Now we could, it, we could get deeper into this, but I'm going to make this simple. So Daniel 9.27 says that at the beginning of the tribulation period, and actually what starts the tribulation period is not the rapture. It's actually what starts the tribulation period is when the Antichrist comes on the scene as a man of peace and makes this peace treaty with the nation of Israel and her enemies around her. Now, according to the book of Revelation, that's going to happen when Jesus opens the first set of judgments called the sealed judgments, when he opens the first sealed judgment in Revelation 6. So that's when that happens. According to Daniel, it happens uh, there. That's that's what starts tribulation. But in Daniel 9.27, it says in the middle of the week, the middle of the week would be at the three and a half year period of the tribulation period. That's when the Antichrist then will commit the abomination of desolation. What will he do? He will, according to Daniel, he will cause the sacrifices and the worship of Yahweh that that is happening uh in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem by the Jews he will make them stop that he will bring it to an end and then he will set up an image of himself in the temple and demand to be worshiped by to be worshiped as god he'll demand the whole world to do it but especially the Jewish people to do it okay so that's what's going to happen paul as john said paul talks about the same thing in Second Thessalonians chapter two, he mentions the whole thing about uh, the Antichrist setting himself up in the temple as God to be worshipped as God. Well, the Jews aren't going to the Jews aren't going to do that. They're going to have none of that. But what's going to happen because they don't, according to Revelation chapter twelve, what's going to happen is is the Antichrist then is going to turn on the Jewish people and begin to persecute them. So you can read that in Revelation chapter twelve. And um, I'm trying to remember exactly the the verse that it starts at. Um, let me see. I got it. Uh, no, I don't have it there. Anyway, it's the second half of Revelation chapter 12. And it talks about and, – and actually Daniel talks about this very thing in Daniel 7 where he says that what the Antichrist will do is he will persecute the saints, speaking of the nation of Israel. And in Revelation chapter 12, it talks about how – because Satan has been cast down permanently from heaven, 
and he is not allowed to have access to God anymore, he is going to be so infuriated that he is going to unleash his wrath upon the world because he knows he has a short time. Why does he have a short time? Because the tribulation period is only seven years, but now there's only three and a half left. And what's he do? He persecutes the Jewish people. He goes after them with all of his might. And so that's what we see is going to happen uh, during the tribulation period concerning the Antichrist, the abomination of desolation, and the Jewish people. So there's a, 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 a you know, assortment of scriptures you could go through and go back and read. But you're exactly right. The abomination of desolation requires the temple to be rebuilt for that to happen, and that will happen according to Daniel. And according to uh, uh, what Jesus had to say in Matthew 24, it's going to happen at the midway point of the tribulation period. And that's before the second coming. But the rapture could come at any time. John? That's right. And I hope that answers it for you. Very clear that the you were right, John. There is going to be a temple built, and there mm-hmm. will be the abomination of desolation. And following that, three and a half years later, Daniel even gives us the time in which Christ will come in his second coming, where he will come back with the saints on the clouds and every eye will see him and different than the rapture that happens before when only those who see him are those who are caught up. So I hope that helps you. And John, we want to pray for you now for this yes. consultation that you have and for the surgery on this tumor that uh, they would get everything and they would, they would be able to remove it all. And so pastor Scott, would you just lead us in prayer and our, and our uh, to every man and answer family Lord. today's we up our brother, John there. Yeah. Let's all pray right now. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus We lift our brother John to you, and we're asking, Father, for your will to be done in his life. Father, we thank you for the biblical perspective he already has in knowing whatever the news is and whatever he has to go through, that you work all things together for good to those who love you. Lord, we pray that you be glorified in this whole situation and through this this whole ordeal. And Father, we also pray that you would cause it to turn out for good for John, that you would bless him in the process of all this. And Father, we ask, Father, that uh, as he goes to the doctor, that you would give the doctor all the insight he needs, Father, to be able to know exactly what is there, what needs to be done. And Father, when it comes time for the surgery, we pray that you'd be with the doctors, that you would guide their hands, guide their eyes. Father, we ask that you would give them the skill to be able to remove the tumor, Father, with with no complications, we're praying, we're asking for that. And Lord, we also, Lord, would just want to pray that, Father, what a blessing it would be if he would go to the doctor and it it would just be gone. Mm -hmm. And you can do it, Lord. And so we ask right now for you to extend your hand to John and bring healing to him, Lord, either through the power of your spirit, Lord, or through guiding the doctors. Lord, it's up to you, but we pray for your will to be done in his life, and we commit him to you in Jesus' name. Amen. John, thank you so much for the call today. And just know this, um, these people who are listening today to this program, we're going to continue to pray for you. And, and well, I'll tell you what, after you get out of that surgery, if you could call us back and let us know, we'd love to hear a praise report and how you're doing. Love to have you on the air and just, and maybe you could just give us an update on how your, uh, how the surgery went, but we'll be praying for you, brother. Thanks so much for calling and uh, God bless you. Let's go out to Brian in Wyoming today with a question. Brian, you're on to every man and answer. How can we help you today? I'm doing good. Uh, I want to keep it the theme a little tonight and ask about um, the book series Left Behind. I'm in Mm -hmm. about the fourth book right now. I just wanted to get your thoughts on the series itself, if there's anything that I should be aware of as I'm reading it that, you know, they keep to a fiction story, but they try real hard to um, have it be factual as well. 
And also a couple follow-ups with your callers. Um, when it comes to n- no man knows the minute or the hour, uh, but in the Bible they say that there's signs in the sky and God will give us signs in the cloud. Um kind of curious what you guys would um, suggest that looks like. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a great question. And uh, first of all, just to comment on the Left Behind series, um, I think you make a valid point, Brian, that it is fictional. And so they are fictional characters. It's not a true story. I do love the fact that um, they do bring in uh, some of, uh, you know, scripture and they try to keep it as close to the Bible as possible. And they, uh, you know, they, they suggest things that potentially could happen. And it's, it's a story and it, it draws you in. I remember when those books came out, it seemed that everyone who was reading those, no wonder they were a bestseller. I mean, they were, they were so well written. Uh, Jerry Jenkins, Tim LaHaye did a phenomenal job on a fictional story that had some insight, even got some movies that they made to kind of, and it makes people aware of this. Um, I think it's something that you can read, but you also filter it through the Word of God. And uh, you realize it's a fictional story. And yes, here's what you know for sure. Jesus is coming again, and there will be people that will be left behind. That you know for sure. But some of the other things that they pull in and how's this going to happen and this going to happen, uh, some of it is, uh, again, I think just, uh, uh, what would you say, just, just an author's creativity. But but I do love the fact they try to stay as close to Scripture as possible. I don't think it's wrong to read those books. I think uh, they're a good read. But but again, I understand that it's fictional. Now, on the other side of your question there, Brian, you're asking about, you know, no man knows the day of the hour, but we are aware of the signs of the times and some of the things that we're seeing. And, and the Bible does talk about some of these things. You know, pa- Pastor Scott, when you when you think about some of the greatest signs that ought to open our eyes in light of prophecy. I mean, what, what would you, what just jumps out at you when you, if you're asked that question? Mm-hmm. Well, I think number one, the, the most major sign is the reestablishment of the nation of Israel in 1948. Um, the nation of Israel and specific Jerusalem is the centerpiece of prophecy of God's, it, it is God's time clock. Um, as we saw in Daniel chapter seven or Daniel chapter nine, as we talked about the last question. So you want to always keep your eyes on Israel and what's going on. And a reason you do, another reason you do is because again, in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, it, it speaks of a war that's going to happen, uh, sometime before the tribulation period. And it just tells us how close we are, uh, number one, uh, to, to the second coming of Jesus. Uh, and in my opinion, also to the rapture. So it's that's very important. Now, I I think if I'm not mistaken, um, was was your question or was the Brian was your question also about you said something about the signs in the skies? Did I hear yeah, that right? Um, okay. Yeah, this was. I know that God in the Bible was say you know keep your eyes up, you know get don't get caught looking down because He'll give signs in in the sky and the clouds above, but. um yeah, I just, yeah. I, don't, I know yeah. that we're not. Yeah, well, any references like that or ideas like that would just simply be be watching for the coming of Jesus. That's what that would mean. I think we have to be careful when it comes to, like right now, looking at the skies or the heavens or the atmosphere and looking for signs of Jesus coming right now. Because in Matthew 24, Jesus does talk about uh, signs in the in the heavens, 
talks about stars falling. The book of Revelation does as well. All of this stuff is going to happen during the tribulation period. Okay. Um, so I think, yeah, it, it's, it, Jesus talked about it. The book of Revelation talks about it. But what that is, is those are the things that are going to happen, uh, as judgments upon the earth, uh, during the tribulation period. So those things aren't going to be happening right now. I also think we have to be careful because, um, there was a lot of Bible teachers, um, that got into, uh, I remember back in, I'm trying to remember what was it, 2017, I know for sure. But when the blood moons were coming and people were writing books left and right, talking about the blood moons, it's a sign of Jesus coming. You know, when this happens, the rapture is going to happen and all this stuff's going to, and it didn't. So I think we have to be very careful. Um, what we, what we as believers right now are looking for is we're not looking for signs because the rapture, when Jesus comes to rapture the church, what we're looking for, and that rapture is going to happen before the tribulation. So we're not looking for signs. We're not looking for signs in the sky. We're not looking for signs on earth because the rapture is a signless event. It, it's imminent. It could happen at any time. What we're looking for is Jesus Christ. We're, 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 we're listening for the trumpet, we should say. And our eyes are on the skies, uh, simply because we're anticipating his coming. So that's, that's the verbiage of what that means anytime it's inferred to in the Bible. But again, don't look for signs. Don't look for them in the skies because all those signs that Jesus talked about that are going to happen in the heavens are going to happen after we're gone and while the tribulation's being poured out upon, or while the judgments are being poured out upon the earth during tribulation. John? Yeah, thank you for that, Pastor Scott. Good answer to that. And Brian, I just appreciate you calling and uh, mm-hmm. just encourage you to continue to stay in the Word of God. It's wonderful to read um, books about the Bible, even uh, fictional stories uh, that that tie into Scripture. But And I, I'm sure you're doing this, but I would encourage all of our listeners, make sure that you balance out those things that you're reading with the Word of God. There is no ultimate substitute for that. I love to read uh, books by authors who write about things in the Bible and, and they, you know, they're great discipleship tools, but I also find that um, it's such a such a blessing to just get into God's word personally and read and study the word. and And I appreciate uh, the question, Brian. God bless you out there in Wyoming, and uh, encourage you to stay on the line. We'd love to send you some things if you'd like some some gifts that we send out to our listeners for calling in. You can God of Wonders and some other DVDs that we have that I think will be a tremendous encouragement to you. And if you still would like to call, we have a few lines open eighty eight eighty eight Ask CSN. But right now we're going to go out to Karen. In Oregon. Man, we got a lot of people calling from Oregon today. Got a strong <laughs> signal out there. Karen, how can we help you today? Welcome to Every Man's Answer. Well, as I was waiting for my my question to be answered, I was reading the Bible and I kind of came across some things that just probably more clarified my answer than anything. Um it was it was it was a kind of a woe to the pregnant and nursing mothers as you pray for your flight doesn't happen in the winter. That's how I remembered it, but as I read it. That's not the way it came across. So it was after the um, abomination that causes desolation. So it would be in the tribulation. So I can see why he would say that. Um, but that brought another question is, if a woman who is pregnant gets raptured, is she having a baby in heaven? That's kind of a speculation. <laughs> right. Well, that's after. a... Really interesting question. I, you know, I, first of all, I want to commend you, Karen, because you read the scriptures and guess what happened? You came to the realization, you answered your own, to every man answer. You gave yourself your answer to your question because your question was, 
what does it mean? Woe to the women that are nursing in the time of winter. And and you just kept reading and and you found the answer. The reason why Jesus said that, remember, in that all of that discourse, the uh, mini apocalypse, if you would, Jesus is responding to a question from Jewish men, his disciples, as to what's going to be the time of the destruction of the temple, what about the end of the age, and, and when are all these things going to happen? And then Jesus launches into this incredible uh, message on end times and prophecy, and he's speaking with the Jewish person in mind. And so when the abomination that brings about desolation happens, because as Pastor Scott said earlier in the program, the Antichrist turns all of his attention onto the Jewish people, saying, oh boy, woe to those women who are in that, you know, they're, they're in labor, they're nursing infants, how difficult it's going to be for them to escape when that happens as he's warning them of these things to come. But Pastor Scott, what a, what a great question for you to answer. Uh, if, if a lady is pregnant and she gets raptured, is she going to have a baby in heaven? Can you help us out with that? <laughs> well, you know what, Karen, that is a wonderful question. I have <laughs> never been asked that before. <laughs> I will say I know nowhere in the Bible that answers it. So I can't give you book, chapter, and verse. But what I can say is this, if a woman is pregnant, life begins at conception, that is a human being. It's also a human being that has not reached the age of accountability. And if that child, you know, is the child of a believer, if that woman's a believer, she goes into rapture, her child's going to go with her for two reasons. Number one, that child's inside of her. (laughs) Number two, the child's going to be raptured up. Uh, again, because it would be a, a child that hasn't reached the age of accountability who, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, is considered holy because of the believing parent. So I would say that child definitely is going to go to heaven, be raptured. Um, if the woman's pregnant, when she gets to heaven, is she going to give birth? I'm, my guess is going to be no. No, because um, there's not going to be any pain in heaven. So there's no pain. <laughs> You know, no, so that's not happening. It's, there's no baby going to be born in heaven. I will exactly. Say and you know what, John? Here's another. Here's another good. Uh, a good twist on that question, or, or, or on the answer is too, is there's every evidence that even when children, when when children go to heaven, we would have to believe that when they are raptured or they die and go to heaven, that when they're in heaven, they're a, they're in their prime or their age, they're adults. Why do I say that? Because they're going to be in a glorified body. They're going to be in a, in a eternal state. And, you know, they're not going to be babies and children for eternity. They're, they're going to be, they're going to be what I believe. Um, Adam was when God created Adam. So when God created Adam, he wasn't born. God just created him. Well, how old was he? Well, we don't know, but we know this. He was an adult. He was a man. So, you know, um, we have to believe that. In the eternal state, God is going to uh, restore all things the way they were before sin entered the world. And so mankind before sin entered the world uh, was of adult age. So I would throw that out there, too, just to give the idea that uh, if a woman's pregnant, she gets raptured, her, and her child's in heaven, but her child now is a full adult. That's what I would say. Yeah, John? Would say, yeah. In addition to that, I would just say it reminds me of that that question that the uh, that Jesus was asked concerning the resurrection by the Sadducees. You know, whose oh, wife yes. in the resurrection? And the response was Mark chapter twelve, verse twenty five. Jesus said, "For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they're like the angels in heaven." So there's not procreation going on in heaven. We're going to be worshiping the Lord. We're not going to be married in heaven. We're, we're going to be just around the throne of God. And um, so it's a great question you ask, Karen. And and, and again, that's a good and that's a good scripture, John. That's I love that. That's yeah. 
So um, God bless you out there in Oregon. And listen, if you stay on the line, we'd love to send you out some details and or some details. We'd love to send you out some gifts that will detail things that we're sharing with you today, like the God of wonders and other amazing uh, gifts that we have. We, we're just blessed that you listen and call in. So God bless you out there. Let's go to our last question. We got about three minutes left. Hey, Chuck, Ontario, California, with a question around the Christmas season. Yes, sir. Um, the question, two, two related sh- short, fast questions regarding okay. Santa Claus. Santa Claus. All right. When did the person of Father Christmas first come around? That was way back in the 1800s or maybe 17, um, because the first poem about him was written in 1821, and in 1822, I looked it up, Clement Moore wrote, uh, Twas the Night Before Christmas. So that goes way back to the 1820s. But number one, when did Father Christmas first show up in American culture? And number two, more important, when and when and how and why did parents first start telling their children that he was real? All right. Well, that's a really good question. Um, it's not in the Bible. Let me just begin by saying that uh, we don't have a biblical reference for the the historicity of or the etymology of Santa Claus or when did parents start telling their kids? You know, I love it when my Scott, when I took my my son, my oldest son into Walmart, uh, he saw when he was a little boy, he saw the man in the red suit and he looked up and he said, Dad, it's Noah. And I said, that's, that's exactly who it is, Noah. You know, I, they didn't know. We We never... You know, we never told our kids, you know, we, we told them from the day one, Santa Claus is not real. He's not real. Now, hey, some of our listeners might be upset about that, but I, hey, huh. maybe when he was real, he's not. He's not real. Christmas is about Jesus. You got anything on the, the historicity of of uh, Santa Claus in, in, you know, two minutes? So, I John, think- I was going to say, so you still let your child be misled, huh? <laughs> yeah, right. Because <laughs> he wasn't Noah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Oh, you yeah, an, yeah. An art, <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because you know what? We did the opposite. We did. We, we, we allowed our kids to believe in Santa Claus and all of that. And, uh, they, they grew up and they're still Christians and, you know, Please. love Jesus. And, <laughs> but anyway, so let me, let me say this. The whole historicity beside Santa Claus, man, there's a lot of different resources you can go to, to, to give you different opinions about this. A lot of these questions that center around, Christmas is a pagan holiday because it came from this and that. There are so many different opinions about where it actually came from. It's hard to decipher the truth, to be honest with you. But here's the point. Um, what I would do, Chuck, if you want some really good history, go online and, and, and look up a man by the name of William Federer. William Federer, he's a friend of mine. He's from here in the St. Louis area. He travels around. He is a Christian historian. He's awesome. And if you go, I think his website is AmericanMinute.com, AmericanMinute.com. If you go there, he has some wonderful articles on the history of Santa Claus that would really help you out. John? All right. Well, there you go, everybody. Hey, remember, Christmas is ultimately about Christ. If you, yes. you take it out of Christmas, all you got is a mess. You know what I mean. <laughs> hey, listen, God bless you guys. Look forward to seeing you next time on To Every Man and Answer. And uh, thanks for joining us today. God bless you. To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. 
Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 